Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, together with Phil Goldfeder. <laughs> Former Assemblyman Phil Goldfeder, now Assistant Vice President at Yeshiva University, coming to you from Central Perk in downtown Cedarhurst, New York. The gloomy weather uh, is starting to lift. And uh, we have had a week that since our last show that started out as sunny and then uh, became a little bit more gloomy for... Uh, for the president. Uh, and we are here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And uh, just as we were first and foremost, the big enchilada in the room, the big elephant in the room, enchilada, whatever you want to call it, taco bowl, is, I mean, just the incredible statements that we've heard from this administration. And, I, I you know, I've obviously got to repeat it for the public, but Ben Carson, in his inaugural speech to the housing and urban development. I mean, look, Ben Carson is a smart guy. There's no question He's about that. He's probably one of the smartest He's probably guys one of the smartest guys in the room. And he gets up there and he says that slaves were immigrants. Now, I know immigration's a big issue and I know you want to somehow I what is he thinking? And I it, because to me, that's actually the more incredible despite everything that's gone on coming from the White House and all the tweets and everything. That is the most incredible statement of the week that a national figure could say something that is just so morally and politically indefensible. I, I, I'm not, God knows I'm not going to defend it. I, I think I, we, every week we have to have a speechless moment of the week. Like we're just, we just, <laughs> we just take a moment, we take in what has been said and we just say, hmm. It's, I mean, there's unfortunately a couple this week. Um, uh, it, it was, it was an odd statement. Look, and what's even odder is let's, let's think about he worked, I mean, he is the HUD secretary. He's in the administration. And so you're not seeing people in the administration but he's the talking ha- about immigration and how immigration is a good thing, right? That, that goes against the messaging of the White House. So let's assume he's saying something positive. Like he's saying the right thing in terms of like how immigration is a good thing. I don't understand that to start. So, you know, number one, why is he going against sort of the messaging of the White House? Right, and, and talking about how good oh, that's not a, that's not official White House policy. I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> and then number two is to make the statement that he made, which was just there's no I, you know it's funny I whenever there's something happens and, and we're going to talk in a moment about other things there's there's things to say there's ways to understand it and there's there's comments to make on it I have no comment on this I mean it is just he is mind boggling because he is a he's he is the African American face of the administration right he is there I mean why is he HUD secretary I. I don't know, but you know, he's a very hopefully be a very competent guy, and he, he controls a huge budget. HUD, HUD is a very important agency. 100, percent and people and people question his nomination. I I actually defended it. Like he is one of the smartest guys. You know, if you put him at HUD, he'll do very very well. You put him any agency, he'll do very well because he is very intelligent, um, and I think he can he can grasp the budget. He can grasp uh, the issues quite quickly. Um, but this is mind boggling. Uh, why he said what he said. Why he was even going down that. That path was, I thought, was a, a bit strange, and and you know, thankfully, thankfully he didn't double down and triple down, right? Thankfully he let the slip pass, and, and things have moved on. And uh, well, perhaps he was thinking that somehow he could distract attention from another doozy of the week, and <laughs> that being the at this point unproven, I'll just say unproven allegations uh, that President Forty Four. Tap the phones of President 45, not as an allegation, but as a actually matter of certainty. And 
I'll let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's start with the fact, and I, I want to I want to take this back because I want to be very clear. Whether you believe the idea, this Russia idea, right? The the hacking, the the the, the influencing, the the election rigging. Whether you think that's true or not, I don't want to get into that issue. I think we've talked about that in the past. I don't want to talk about Russia. But you cannot argue the fact that going into last weekend, that was the news story of the week. Going into Sunday morning news shows, likely Russia was going to be the topic that was going to be discussed, that was going to be talked about, that was going to be debated, that was going to be dug in on. And Donald Trump, whether he's doing it on purpose or whether he's not, and I still have not figured that part out yet, changed the story right he literally in one tweet in less than 144 characters he changed the story changed the narrative now i think it was for the worse however for a few brief days i would say even people lent it legitimacy oh maybe it's true maybe proof is coming but we're now almost a week away a, a week from uh, the the tweet and we still have not seen one ounce of proof. Not only that, we've seen White House administration uh, officials backing off, and you've seen an FBI director quite, quite angrily, I should say. Yeah, who's, who's <laughs> urging the Justice Department to um, to sort of to to sort of negate the to, to negate it and to sort of put out the facts and, and and if there is evidence to put it out, but essentially to say like if this is false, then you should get up and say it's false. So I am of the school of thought that. This is not a mistake. This is not intemperate. This has happened before. This is a issue that the president likes to do. This is that he likes to throw bombs and say, "Hey, pick up the pieces afterward." He likes to just like let's say the Muslim, the thousands of people cheering on Jersey City rooftops after 9/11. Just like he talked about massive voter fraud of millions of undocumented aliens coming to vote in the election there have been a number of things he says okay we'll look at it afterward and we'll you know that's uh, and then he kind of either doubles and triples down and then people eventually forget about it or he goes ahead and figures out a way why really what he said was correct i think in this case in from so I think what people aren't talking about is Jeff Sessions. And I think the fact that the Attorney General of the United States went before Congress, and for some reason, I mean, and I don't even understand how you can actually, you know, having watched the videotape afterward, I mean, yes, uh, he probably, you could certainly make a case he didn't commit perjury. I'm not suggesting he committed perjury. Others have, and they're turning around and says, okay, it's, it's perjury. Yeah, you got to have an intent. But from all indications he did not answer the question truthfully i mean you can't kind of get around it he was very adamant i never met and then he went ahead and you know well then i did it as a senator i didn't do it but you met with him at the republican national convention which part of this is like not political it's it's it, it, it is it's but let me just finish with it with the the, the problem here is that with regard to the wiretapping is that if in there is a would be a paper trail like the thousands of people cheering from the jersey city roof stops okay maybe you can prove it maybe you can't maybe there. but in this case there has to be a paper trail there has to be an application to a fisa court there has to be a turn down there has to be somebody has to have either either it did happen or it didn't happen there isn't like a, a there isn't kind of a way that it didn't happen and you're going to get to the point here that either somebody broke the law and it's provable or somebody didn't bro- break the law, and it's and the just president just made it up. It, it, yeah, and it, but it just entirely made it up. And so I want to go and, back. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, so what you said is exactly right. You know, we would have again, 
this show would have been dedicated to the fact of Jeff Sessions. Again, whether you agree or not, he was asked a very direct question, and he, you know, he didn't. I mean, he he, he told an untruth. Um, and so that would have been the debate about Russia. Again, whether it's important, whether it's not important. And the president, of course, tweeted. He said the kind of thing that your kid would get punished for. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the president go on to tweet, go on, went on to tweet about you know, a picture of Chuck Schumer and, and, and Putin eating a, a, a Krispy Kreme donut in New York, a picture of Nancy Pelosi. The fundamental difference, by the way, is that those meetings and those get-togethers are out in the public. Clearly, there's pictures of it. You show me a picture of Jeff Sessions and, and the Russian ambassador, and I will throw my hands up and, and, and agree with you. But still then, why didn't Jeff Sessions say that? Why not, why not say, as a member of the United States Senate, you're entitled to meet with ambassadors. You're entitled. You're entitled. So why not say, yes, I have, as a matter of doing my job is a matter of, of business. Yes, I have met with the Russian ambassador. Why not say that? I've said this several times say on the it. show. Russia is going to be the kryptonite or the Achilles heel of this administration. And the, and the denials over and over with regard to Russia are just incredible because on and on we keep seeing that there have been contacts, consistent contacts, from various officials in the Trump campaign. Carter Page went to Russia to speak in Russia in July 7th. All of a sudden afterward, I mean, it's circumstantial, The all those WikiLeaks emails started coming out. But Carter Page, who was a foreign policy aide, he, went to, he asked permission from the campaign team to go to Russia in, in July. And one... and. I think one of the national security professionals said he shouldn't go. Corey Lewandowski said, you can go, but not as a representative of the campaign. But clearly he went. Clearly there are other people who have met. And there's nothing wrong, as you said, meeting with the Russian ambassador. There is a problem with meeting with Russian officials who may be intelligence agents and then turning around and say, we have nothing to do with this. We never had anything to do with this. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, it, it is quite incredible when you call Jerry Kushner, your closest aide, confidant, son-in-law, and you say, I have nothing to do with Russia, meaning the president, but yet your son-in-law was meeting in Trump Tower, in your office, so, with the Russian ambassador. So to your astute listeners, you see what just happened here? This, the Russian story became the story. And so what did the president do, right? We all think maybe, like, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. What the president did by, by tweeting out about the wiretap is completely changed the story. Momentarily, completely, completely changed the story. And all the topics of the news shows were all changed. And they're all, everybody's trying to dig down on this wiretap. And that is why, again, it is so baffling. It is just... Well, it's not because, you know, we kind of, we're in this all the time. We're always kind of, we're always digging and trying to read and figure out. And we have a lot of context to it. I think a lot of Americans are out there and they're saying, and they hear somebody give a little talking point saying, if this wiretap happened, this would be the worst political crime since Watergate. And that's what they hear. And that's what they're thinking. It says, oh my gosh, we have potentially another Watergate going on. And that's what they're left with. For that. And it's just a confusing, muddled message. And most people don't pay a lot of attention to politics. Hopefully the people listening to this show pay a little bit more attention than most. I mean, the, hopefully uh, you're people are political junkies. That's what kind of we expect, because this is a show a little bit for junkies. Uh, the you know, you get your weekly fix here at uh, on Spin Class here on the Nakam Single Network, coming to you from Central Perk in Cedarhurst, New York, and Michael Fragan here with Phil Goldfeder. 
And so there is a difference between those inside the bubble and outside the bubble. I think, you know, and I think we have that also with the people we speak to on a weekly basis. Your average person out there, and person that I know, is still supporting the president on on everything, and they think that all the stuff they still they also call it fake news. <laughs> it's true. I look. I see it. I, I see it every single day. Um, you know, it, it's a very sad state of affairs where people are sort of this. You know, this blind trust, no, we love this president, whatever he does is right. I mean, this is irrefutable. Again, if you want to, again, and go back to the, sort of the, the Russian blind, issue. The blind trust doesn't, there is no blind trust. Let's uh, be, oh, the blind trust for the president. I thought you were talking about the blind trust for his assets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe poor choice of words on my part. But but here is here's the tipping point. I just wanted to, you were fooled into thinking that he actually did a blind no, trust. No, 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 I, I no. Because some people are. Yeah, no, for the president, I meant. Um <laughs> But here is the tipping point, and this is what I think is important for our listeners and, and for everybody to realize. Governing is a complicated thing, and it can't be done on Twitter. It can't be done via executive order, okay? You can do certain things. You can redirect and misdirect so many times. At some point, it comes back down to the fact that you have to work with members of Congress in the Senate and the House to actually pass legislation and get things done. What the president is going to start to run into, and you're going to find mainline Republican uh, members of the legislature who are going to stop buying into it. Right? They're going to stop. They, they're going to at some point have to get up, and more than just um, the John McCain's and, and, and others who have had the courage to stand up already, but people who are going to be nervous sort of continuing going down this rabbit hole um, and, and sort of getting stuck in there when it comes time for their re-election campaigns. We don't know. Look. What happened in this election is, is you know, I can't explain it. Nobody can explain it, right? Maybe some can or pretend they can. Yeah, I'd be happy to. We don't have enough time. Uh, in two years from now, we have no idea. There's a complete unknown. We're we going don't. to midterm elections, and I think a lot of members of Congress are going to start to get a little shaky about continuing down this path. And at some point, you're going to see what we would call mainline Republicans, right? Moderate Republicans who are trying to just get something accomplished in, in Congress— who are not going to go along with these things anymore, who are going to start to stand up and say, Mr. President, if you have proof that there was wiretapping, let's see it. If not, get out of our way. I think that's what's going to start happening. Well, a couple of important points that you made there, and I'll take them one at a time. I think the fact is that Republicans do have to govern. And you control the presidency, you control both houses of Congress. And I think there is a bargain going on here. I think that's kind of the conventional wisdom that the congressional leadership has said, okay, we'll tolerate the president and the fact that he puts us on the defensive pretty much every day, that individual Republican lawmakers have to go on TV and the first five questions that they ask are, or you know, 50% of the questions that they get are about the president and what he said. And it's just over and over to say, it's not me. I mean, Sean Spicer is even saying that, is saying, my opinions don't matter here. Um, he said that in, this, in a briefing. He says, like, that doesn't me. You have to ask the president. Well, the point is, he's the spokesman for the president. You but, speak on behalf <laughs> of the president. But, but either way, the I think there were we Republicans who get tired of it. But let we, you know, we can now look at the repeal of and replacement, quote unquote, of Obamacare that's out there. Um, it's not it's not being well received, kind of on either side. Uh, it's kind of you know, it's it's that middle of the road type of thing that they're throwing out there. A lot of conservatives don't are are already in revolt. A lot of the conservative interest groups are already in revolt against it, as well as clearly the Democrats are just saying, you know, sitting by, or at least they seem to be sitting by and chuckling as the Republicans kind of grapple and. 
deal with this big meatball out there that they have to that they have to now consider and they promised for so long to go ahead and repeal and replace and they don't really have what to a lot of people is going to be a good plan so you know what and it's funny again once again we're not talking about that we're not actually talking we we come on the radio every single week and we don't actually talk about these issues because of all the misdirection well, well, there are no issues we can only talk we're only talking about this all this fluff all this craziness all this uh this but, or or as called the freak show look so. i you know is is no secret to, to our listeners i work for senator chuck schumer and i was there no during, you don't say i do i was actually there <laughs> And so I was there, and so I was very involved when it came to healthcare reform. And I was in, and, and, and I, you know, sort of some of my best friends were sort of involved in, in drafting some of the language. And so I have, I, I understand what, what we did and, and what, uh, uh, I understand healthcare reform. And, and I am actually not devastated by the proposal, meaning I'm not saying that I agree with it, and I'm not saying that we should do anything, but I think that the Republicans recognize, hey, the things about Obamacare that worked, we've got to find a way to keep those things, right? Things that we think should be changed, we're going to change those things. And I think that's what the Republicans did. Now, I think the challenge for them is that, you know, you have the far right wing of the party that says it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. You're never going to please those people. But this is exactly what I just said. This is a perfect example of what I just said. At some point, Republicans who are in the leadership of both houses are going to have to get up and say... It's not about the far right. It's not about the far left. It's about actually getting something done for the American people. And the American people are going to get on board with that. And I believe that. And I believe that's where the president is going to start to run into some trouble. Well, let's just take some potential. I mean, we might not have to wait till 2018 to the actual midterms to see some of the results here. There are going to be some special elections coming up. Uh, one look, looking everybody's looking at now is the e as a potential bellwether is the rate is the special election to replace Tom Price that's coming up in Georgia. Uh, it's a runoff situation. So April 18th, there's a runoff. Top two candidates will get into a uh, if nobody gets 50 percent, they go into a June 20th general election. And that is actually a district that's very interesting from a Republican point of view or Democrat, any point of view, as it's not really, it hadn't been known as a swing district for many years. Uh, Price was pretty conservative, yet Romney carried that district by 24 points, and Trump only carried that district by one point. It's a suburban district where, in the suburbs, Trump did not do particularly well. And we'll have to see where, you know, the, I think, the one point problem that the administration is having is, you know, they're playing to their base, and it's about the base, and let's make what the base is making us happy. But the base is not the majority of the country. So I, what I, I, I would look, and I, I agree with that, but I would argue that it's too soon to, to sort of use this as a as a as a, a referendum on this president. No, I but I think, but I, I but I think congressional Republicans and and no politicians are particularly courageous. I mean, let's put it that way. I I, I, I will I will I will throw myself in there. Okay, we're not a courageous bunch. We we are kind of fickle when we turn around and see that the public is angry and the people are angry and if there is an upset and there could be an upset in montana there's an at-large seat coming out to for ryan zinke who became interior secretary if republicans start losing or feeling that they're going to be losing some elections they're going to start running for cover and some of them are going to start running away what we said before though is i don't I don't think people are angry yet. I don't think like the people who like the, the I, I you, those town halls or those are all no, those I, are all contrived. What I would say, <laughs> what I would say is that that the people who supported this president and, and as you hear every single day still support this president regardless of what happens. Many of them. I think a lot of them will ha- in 12 months and 14 months and 18 months a lot of them will have to internalize the fact that we actually haven't gotten anything done or 
you know, things are not moving in the direction they thought they would be. And, and all the promises that, that were made at last week's quote unquote State of the Union Street, uh, State of the Union address didn't actually happen. And they're going to have to make a real determination of was this the right choice or was this the wrong choice? And then you go into midterms. I think right now we're still kind of in the bubble. We're still in the, in the honeymoon phase, as you will, regardless of sort of mistake after mistake or, or speechless moment after speechless moment, you know, people still support them. I mean, okay, I, well, we do see that they have the capacity to learn from the mistakes. They reintroduced the immigration bill or the or the immigration ban or the pr- visa ban. And, can I and, say? And I have to, it's hard to say exactly. I think I'll call it a visa ban because that's really what it is. If you have a visa already, you can come. If you don't have a visa, you can't come. I mean, the one surprising is, is I mean, they took Iraq off the list, but... The one thing here is that they actually seem to have learned from the lack of implementation. Now, of course, the president still insists and the White House still insists the implementation was fine. Everything was great. It was just the fake news media that actually ruined it and the so-called judges. Uh, He's not backing away from that, but clearly they listened and they are more mindful of the fact that there are checks and balances in our government. So we rushed through this a lot when we spoke, but so number one, our show got the White House tours reopened. Yes. Right? And we have Well, now, you specifically. I did. I got the White House tours reopened. Uh, but more importantly now, I think, is that obviously the administration is listening to our show and, and not talking about the specific policies themselves, but it's more important how you roll those policies out. And so some of the things we spoke about uh, just a few weeks ago was giving time, number one, explaining to your own agencies who, have to, who are charged with enforcing the law to understand and giving them time to understand and figure out how they're going to enforce it and being clear and concise in what you're trying to do instead of, of putting out sort of a, a fumbled message that is just unclear to your own press team who can't explain it. Literally the next day can't explain or on the Sunday after the Friday couldn't explain what was in it, what it does and, and how to, uh, it's going to be enforced. And so as we can tell, by the way, it's worked. Now, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with it. I don't actually get into the substance of the ban because... Um, I think there's going to be other opportunities for that, but I will say that we didn't see any protests at JFK Airport this week. We didn't see any rallies. We didn't see any riots. We didn't see any any sort of emergence of 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 this upheaval of of this this ban that that is just going to do awful awful things. I think because it was done in a in a more thoughtful, measured approach. Again, whether you agree with it or not, and I happen to disagree with it. Not the point. I give the administration credit for doing it the right way this time. Right, but of course it begs the question is why couldn't you do it the right way <laughs> the first time and have it come out? But, okay, we'll chalk that up to youthful and experience. They haven't hired you yet. That's, that's, that's okay. They still on the countdown, but I hate to countdown to you know hiring and getting a Jewish liaison in there. I think we have a... But first and foremost, uh, I, I want to sadly say that once again we have to talk about the rash of anti-Semitism that's coming in and there have been two uh, very prominent responses in addition to the White House that came around to it but in addition uh, here in New York uh, we have the traditional rivalry between governor and mayor and one of them tries to outdo the other and quite impressively I have to say that uh, Governor Cuomo went for the grand slam of going to the AJCC um, in Albany and then going to speak before the Orthodox Union in Albany. And then, of course, at the same time, because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't good enough as far as uh, and showing the Jewish people that he has our back and doing a lightning whirlwind trip, one day trip to Israel so much so that he didn't. I don't think he even uh, stayed over, uh, got there early in the morning, left late at night 
and uh, quite impressively uh, hold a host of events intended to show the Jewish community that he is there and he is a, f- a friend. And I think that was very impressive. For some reason, and I'm you know I'm not to continue to knock on the mayor, but. This week, he finally got around after bomb threats and bomb threats and threats against Jewish uh, institutions, got around to making it to Staten Island, where he usually avoids going uh, in, in general. But he made it to Staten Island to go to a JCC and now to talk about threats and, you know, that. And uh, the governor just seems to always be on the ball when it comes to response to crisis. He seems to excel in that. But particularly, I have to say, his response to uh, and I don't want to be cynical and call this like a 2020 campaign. I'm, I really believe that in his kishkas, uh, Andrew Cuomo really is offended by bigotry and is offended by these bomb threats and defended by anti-Semitism. And uh, good for him. I, I agree. I think the governor has done an amazing job. Um, I think he has been right on the money. I think, you know, he has done every as it relates to reassuring the people of New York State that 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 the state is going to give every resource, that we care about it, that it's... Remember, it's not always about what... You, you know, we, we talk about this, and I talk about this a, a tremendous amount. It's not always about what you do. It's about how you do it. Um, and I think the governor on this point has actually done both. He's committed to strengthening the ties between New York and Israel. He is committed to putting every resource to the state police to ensure that we're investigating these crimes from Buffalo to Albany to right here in, in Long Island. Um, and he is doing everything right. Uh, to me, that's not a, a slight. And he's not just tweeting about it. And he's, he's not. <laughs> um, I don't think that's a slight on the. I don't think it's particularly a slight on the mayor. Look, everybody's got their own style. Um, you know, like I said, I think the mayor is generally doing a, a good job. I think the city is, is, is safe and, and moving forward in, in a positive direction. But I, I do think that the governor really, uh, you know, hit it out of the park. And, and it's funny. The trip was literally a day. I mean, I, you give them a, a tremendous amount of credit, but but in a day they they were able to put together a very successful trip. I mean, if you see the clips, I mean, you'd think he was there for a week and a half. I know that, that you and I have taken trips to Israel, and, and we couldn't accomplish what he accomplished in a day in two weeks. I usually need to nap several times while there, <laughs> um, and that's and that's the truth. And so uh, I give the governor a tremendous amount of credit, and I. I can't tell you why. I mean, uh, I went two weeks ago for three days and I was knocked out. I just <laughs> did. Um, I don't know. You know, it's funny. There's so much speculation about 2020 or about maybe even just re-election in 2018. You know, I can't tell. Well, that, well if, if that is in fact the case, then it was a pretty good move. Yeah, know. Know. We're, we're supposed to call politics, you know, and see smart political moves. I don't want to say, I don't want to take away from it. Look, I, and again, or I don't, it could just be responsible governing. I don't want to take away. And that's why I don't want to necessarily knock Mayor de Blasio on this. But I do think it's a re-election year. Okay. Yes, he doesn't. He's, you know, the, the field is still starting to, uh, you know, but instead of dealing with the crisis at home, instead of dealing with, uh, you know, the rash of, of, of threats to JCCs in New York City, instead of marching in parades in Staten Island and the Rockaways, your you know, home turf, uh, and the sunny side, the, you know, Queens uh, parade for all, uh, he doesn't, he decides to go on a fundraising trip and go around the country. You almost get the feeling that Mayor de Blasio would rather be the progressive king of the United States than he does want to be mayor of New York City. He just doesn't seem to like the job or love the job. And every, you know, when you have mayors, it's a Ed Koch, you felt that he loved the job. Rudy Giuliani loved the job. You know, Michael Bloomberg was, was a little bit of a different personality, but you got the feeling he loved the job. And Bill de Blasio just doesn't seem to love the job, at least in, from my point of view, or if he's showing the public that he loves the job in the same way. just doesn't seem to want to do the same heavy schedule day in, day out, 24-7, go to the parades and do this. And instead, you know, okay, yes, he has to fundraise because he's got some major legal bills to pay. But 
Well, it's just a fact. Couldn't help yourself. No, no. He, it's a, that, that's what he said. He said, I have to fundraise. I have to go around the country fundraising. But he just always seems to go on. You know, he was in Atlanta. He was in D.C. He's going all over the place. You know, he had to go to Atlanta for the DNC meeting. Um, but he's he's all over the place. But where is he not? He's not in the Rockaways. He's not in Staten Island. He's not in white ethnic neighborhoods. He doesn't like to go there, which is which is incredible. Anyway, as a former representative of a white ethnic neighborhood. You know, look, again... As you know, and I spent a lot of time going to community board meetings, civic meetings, parades, functions. I mean, I, I loved my job when I was in the state assembly. I loved my job at YU even I didn't more. want to speak for you, but I knew you loved your job. I absolutely loved my job. And, and like I said, I, I love my job at YU. It's, it's pre- presenting some, some great and amazing challenges to work with some students. But, you know, the, the, the challenge is that you can't, you know, it's, it's sort of, there's no right way, right? There's no right way or right answer to how many events you have to go to, how many parades. But, but I think you actually hit it right on the head. When you love what you do, then you go and do it, right? When you love to be a, a member of, of, of the city council, the state legislature, or even as a member of Congress, you love what you do. You, you go and do everything because it's your passion. It's what drives you. It's the people. It's the, it's the communities. And so I don't know. You know, look, I, I don't sit. Um, I'm, I don't live at Gracie Mansion. I don't talk to the mayor too often. Uh, what I could say is that, look, I think the bulk of New Yorkers, and this is why you see the poll numbers. We talked about this last week. The mayor is still polling. You know, if the elections were held tomorrow, he would win with 64%. So why is that? Why is it that he's not going to the parades and yet still doing that? Because I think generally the city is moving in the right direction. Oh, there's no crisis going so, on. So that's, so that's the point, right? So do you, So you, the argument can be made is, do I have to go to every parade? Do I have to go to every No, meeting? but he hasn't gone to these parades. Meaning like it's... Uh, he it's went last year. No, the mayor was in Rockaway last year. I remember very, uh, very distinctly the mayor was in Rockaway at a few events and obviously he marched in last year's parade. And... The reception, and I will say this and, and say this on the record, right? The reception wasn't as cold as some people tried to present it. You know, the mayor was not uh, poorly. Uh, um, the mayor was not so was not poorly received, and so, you know, again, I think most people will look to take a look at, at the snowstorm. Right? Things went well. Things just are going well in New York City, and so, you know, his critics can can make can make these allegations. He should be. He shouldn't be. I mean, that ultimately, it's going to be his decision. And so far, the city is doing doing okay. Okay, and that's it for another edition of Spin Class. I want to be remiss to not welcome Jeff Lebb, who joined us as an off-air observer here for coffee here at Central Perk in beautiful downtown Cedarhurst, New York. And this is here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.